the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We uh, are trained Marxists. That's right, people. Welcome back to the show. I started with my favorite Black Lives Matter button because we're talking about a big Black Lives Matter story today. Welcome back to the show. This is Morgan Zeggers. Today we're talking about a Black Lives Matter protest that's really biting them in the butt. Um, New story because China just bought more U.S. farmland and it is a national security concern. Awesome commentary by Joe Kent that I saw that I want to share with you guys. And of course, I can't do a show without mentioning this because it's pretty big news in the world of Morgan Zeggers. Um, One of my iconic role models is Betsy DeVos. She is all about education, education reform in the country. She was secretary of the Department of Education under President Trump, and she just came out with a new book that I am going to order and then I'll review it for you guys. But with that book, she released five of the most important things that conservatives, Republicans, Americans can do to reform education. A five-point plan. I want to walk through that with you guys because it is everything we need to be paying attention to moving forward. With that being said, let's get started. All right, let's do the button one more time. We... uh are trained Marxists. Listen, you guys, I always love using that button because that, again, if you're new to the show, that was Patrice Collers, the co-founder of Black Lives Matter, saying on a public interview on a very radical far-left station that she's a trained Marxist. Now, the context of that interview... For those of you who aren't aware of this really momentous interview in this moment, it was from a couple years ago at this point. But Patrice Collers is doing an interview in the early stages of Black Lives Matter's success. And she's doing an interview with this far-left organization, media group. And the guy says, hey, we are really concerned because you guys have a lot of status at this point, a lot of support, a lot of fame, and a lot of money. And we're worried that you aren't rooted in a true important mission make me feel better about this and so patrice colors co-founder of black lives matter says oh no sir don't you worry we're actually and she settles his fears by saying this we're actually trained marxists we uh are trained marxists and she goes on to say we're actually deeply rooted in ideology and she continues on and on. Now, there's also fascinating footage, and I've, I've talked about this before. It's on the Internet if you take a little quick search. But it's Patrice from a handful of years before she started Black Lives Matter saying to a crowd that she just met a student who had bought her book. And she said the student compared her book to none other than communist dictator from China, Mao Zedong's Little Red Book. And she says, he said that my book was like Mao's Little Red Book. And I said, that's what I was thinking. 
And then she tells the crowd how proud she was that a student saw her book in America as similar to Mao's Little Red Book. Now, that's exactly why I have my nonprofit, The Freedom Records, where we interview survivors from socialist and communist countries. If you go to thefreedomrecords.com, you're able to watch my interviews with people who experienced it firsthand. There's one from somebody who lived through the Cultural Revolution, which was basically the purging of anybody who wouldn't fall in line with the teachings in Mao's Little Red Book. Her name's Shi Van Fleet, and she grew up during the Cultural Revolution in China. She was a part of that youth that was re-educated and indoctrinated, and a lot of them became part of Mao's Red Guard. The Red Guard basically eliminated or punished anybody that wouldn't comply with Mao's Little Red Book, and then helped to reform society into this new communist state that Mao envisioned with his teachings in the Little Red Book. So Oh, yeah. With that being said, millions of people died during the Cultural Revolution. It was a horrific time. And now China of today has completely rebranded itself to fit into the international economy, the global economy that we have. But they're still the same CCP, the Chinese Communist Party that they were a hundred years ago when this all started in that country. And it's really a shame that we've allowed this to become normal, that we've allowed this. We've appeased them so much. We let them have the Olympics. We let them do all of these crazy things. And now we see the rise up of that. People have no concern over communist China and the horrific things that happen there. And then the strange business dealings between communist China, Hunter Biden, and our president, Joe Biden, I believe they are cashing in. And then you see people like Black Lives Matter founders saying, oh yeah, my book is like Mao's Little Red Book. And then nobody freaks out because nobody has any proper education on it because what do you know? The school system failed to teach us these things. So let me just play actually this clip of the actual footage, because I know that I have it. I'll play it for you guys. This is the co-founder of Black Lives Matter saying she's oh so proud that her book was compared to Mao's Little Red Book. And I was, he, he, he grabbed a book and he said, it's like Mao's Red Book. And I was like, man, that's what I was thinking. And it was just really cool to hear him make that connection. I was like, how about you buy like 10 to 15 of these books and you all have like a youth, like, organizing group where you talk about it and you really try to engage this and we can just kind of we need to build off of this and so that leads me to um a point that i i actually wanted to kind of focus on today which is um i think i have a a really important role in speaking to youth i i have maybe it's because i came in the movement at 17 and a half so i have like just a knack for knowing how to organize young people into this organization and kind of teach them this this politic and then hear them now organize other so you guys that's right co-founder of black lives matter patrice collier's trained marxist and proud to have her book compared to communist dictator mao zedong's little red book that resulted in the death of millions if you ask me i think we're going through an american cultural revolution but that's a topic for another episode all right you guys let's move into this story right now let me pull it up it is uh by the post millennial we have Written by Katie Dis- Davis Court. Katie Davis Court. It says BLM slammed for protesting cops for shooting man who opened fire into home. All right. It says suspect Andrew Teckel Sundberg, a 20 year old black male, fired bullets into the Minneapolis home of a single mother and her two children, both under five years of age. 
The incident led to a six-hour standoff between Teckel Sundberg and Minneapolis police officers on Thursday evening, the Hill reports. According to police documents, police snipers fatally shot Sundberg from a roof of an apartment building from across the street. The fatal shooting brought protesters and activists to the apartment building where Sundberg was shooting and was then shot. After approximately six hours of attempted negotiations, MPD reported, an officer-involved shooting occurred, resulting in life-threatening injuries to the man. The man, believed to be in his 20s, was transported to a health care facility where he later died. So that's the statement that the police department released. It says the death of Sundberg sparked outrage amongst Black Lives Matter activists and protests erupted outside of the apartment building. So seems a little status quo for a Black Lives Matter situation. A young black male dies at the hand of a police officer and then Black Lives Matter protests and says that we need to protect young black men from the evil police officers. Standard. But what happened this time is, oh wait, the victim of the man that died, because guess what? The man that died was a bad man. The victim is now speaking out, and this is one of the first times we've ever seen it. Because a lot of the times, these these people that are put on pedestals by Black Lives Matter, they're not the best, okay? They're not the greatest humans, and they are uh, oftentimes aggressive, violent, and criminals. Bad, bad people. This is the first time that we've ever seen a victim of it actually speak out. Because this is actually what happened in the situation. It says the victim, Arabella Yarbrough, was furious, furious to find Black Lives Matter activists protesting outside her apartment building and explained that she thought she was going to die during the incident. The reporter said that, quote, Arabella Yarbrough says she thought she and her two kids were going to die on Wednesday night after she says Teckel Sundberg fired these shots through her apartment. She says she called the police. Sundberg was shot and killed by MPD after a standoff. So the the reality of the actual story, you guys, is that this, yes, this young black man that died at the hands of the police, he was shooting into an apartment and could have killed, shooting actively into an apartment of a mother and her two sons. And so the mother is now saying, this is not a George Floyd situation. George Floyd was unarmed. My kids have had to deal with this and probably have a mental illness now. There's bullet holes in my kitchen because he sat in a hallway and watched her move around and was shooting at her. So she's trying to explain, you guys, no, 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 this guy was trying to kill me and my kids. My kids are now traumatized. My young black son, traumatized. And you guys are now here outside of my home protesting in defense of the guy that was trying to kill me. Do you not see how something is wrong here? So for the first time ever, we have footage of a Black Lives Matter martyr victim, the victim of the person they put on the pedestal, speaking out about this. Here's the footage. Let's watch or let's listen to it. Because they almost lost their life. There's bullet holes in my kitchen. Not in you, 
what they want to show on the TV. It's obviously going to the This is not okay, just go home! Go home! Because none of you guys not done that man's door to check his house! Shut up! He come to my house! Shut up, baby! You're fucking alive! Huh. Okie dokie. Yeah. So that woman screaming was the one who was getting shot at by uh, Tekel, the 20 year old that got killed by police. Her home was being shot into when she's there trying to hide from the bullets, stuck there for hours with her two kids, and now her apartment is riddled with bullet holes. And Black Lives Matter is outside of her home protesting the police and the situation in defense of this young black man. Now, they are painting him as this innocent thing. There's pictures all over the internet right now that I'm looking at, and it's this guy, this you know innocent 20-year-old. He's holding two pistols at the same time, and then in that same hand is also a bag of drugs. <laughs> so, so that's what you can easily find on the internet, but what they're sharing is this little sweet innocent picture of this boy smiling and looking off into the sunset looking off distantly away from the camera and chuckling and ben crump one of the attorneys that is kind of infamous for latching onto these public situations that have to do with black lives matter scenarios he tweeted that picture and he said this is teckle sundberg minneapolis police department killed this smart loving and artistic 20 year old after an hours long standoff while he was experiencing a mental health crisis. We need answers from MPD as to why Teckle's mental health crisis became a death sentence. Well, Ben Crump, it became a death sentence because he was trying to cause death to a mother and her two children in their innocent home. And now their innocent home is riddled with bullet holes by somebody that you are calling smart, loving, and artistic after this entire incident. So I just want to point out, you guys can't see the video. This is an audio podcast. This woman who is screaming at the Black Lives Matter people, there's a few black people there, but for the most part, it looks like middle-aged white liberals that are there to protest for Black Lives Matter, and they are the ones that are saying, shut up, to this woman who just went through a traumatizing experience with her own children, one of them being a black son. They're saying, oh, she's just having a moment for the cameras. Or, at least you're alive. Did you guys catch that one? That's how they treat women when the narrative doesn't fit what they usually want to be pushing. This is how easily they will sacrifice their other woke issues when the more important things like Black Lives Matter and the religion that it's becoming really need to rise above above all other priorities of the woke left. You'd think they'd want to support this young, alone mother with her children that was experiencing gun violence <laughs> in the wake of all this talk about gun violence. But no, 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 no. They're telling her, hey, you're alive, okay? You're alive. Please stop crying, ma'am. Shut up. Not only please stop crying, shut up. 
so that's that. Fascinating exchange. But once again, this is a great reminder that that's the priority of Black Lives Matter. To cause so much division and to prioritize somebody's skin color over everything else that they do. To divide America by race and nothing else. It's a really disgusting shame. And it also reminds me that when we enter these things of, of, do you think they're going to riot? Do you think they're going to cause violence? Do you think they're going to freak out? We need to stop asking, do you think they're going to do it? Do you think they're going to riot and loot and burn the cities when the next person dies at the hands of police? We need to understand this. That's how they operate. They absolutely will. They're just waiting for the next moment to do so. They are a well-funded, well-structured organization, and they sit and wait for the next big thing to happen, and then they rally the troops. Yeah, literally, literally and figuratively. They rally the troops, and they hit the streets, and they're prepared for these moments. They just are waiting for it to happen again. They're waiting for the ball to drop. That's how Black Lives Matter operates. Um, Huge, huge priorities for them, Um, not exactly the best for the future of the country but it definitely suits them and brings them in the money and gets their their political goals achieved let's move on (sighs) all right two more stories i want to move on to china's purchase of u.s farmland as a national security concern (laughs) this is actually also from the post-millennial and uh this is from aaron holmes so what i really liked about this article is a specific piece of joe kent running for congress in state of washington what his reaction was and what his uh, passion was for this we need to see more politicians that act like this all right so basically what do you know china's been buying land farmland in multiple areas across the country that have concerning locations specifically close to military bases. This happened when I was in Texas uh, in the San Antonio area when I first got there. I remember when I first moved there, it was a really big story that there was um, a Chinese purchase of land near a military base. And now I'm looking at this one as well. It looks like by Grand Forks Air Base, 12 miles away, China just purchased a ton of farmland. So we're going to look into that. It says... A report released in May by the U.S.-China Economic and Security Review Commission examined China's interests in U.S. agriculture and noted the parcel's close, close proximity to Grand Forks Air Base, which sits about 12 miles away. The USCC states, quote, the location of the land close to the base is particularly convenient for monitoring air traffic flows in and out of the base, among other security-related concerns. If you weren't tracking there, that means that if you are at that location of where China purchased that land, communist China, then you are easily then able to monitor what's coming in and out of the base, what they're flying in and what they're flying out. So they can easily monitor an Air Force base in the U.S. It says ranking members of the U.S. Senate Select Committee on Intelligence, including Chairman Senator Mark Warner and Vice Chairman Senator Marco Rubio, both expressed concern in a report published by CNBC. Warner said, quote, The Senate Intelligence Committee has been loudly sounding the alarm about the counterintelligence threat posed by the People's Republic of China. We should be seriously concerned about Chinese investment in locations close to sensitive sites, such as military bases around the U.S. In 2021, April, Rubio co-sponsored legislation that would give the Biden administration power to block foreign land purchases near military installations. That would be nice. 
It says, according to the Grand Forks Economic Development Corporation, the plan proposed for the future headquarters of Fufang, USA, will replace North Dakota's fertile farmland with a corn milling facility to produce nutritional extracts for animal, animal feed. So North Dakota farmland near Grand Forks Air Force Base is going to now be owned by a communist Chinese company called Fufang USA, and they will be creating animal feed or extracts for animal feed. If the question is where do you draw the line, the answer is you draw it sharply. Joe Kent, congressional candidate from Washington State, says in an interview. He said, quote, Securing and decentralizing food production must become a national security priority. People on the traditional right argue that the free market should be limitless, and you should always be able to buy up massive amounts of things. China uses economic rules to buy up key amounts of farmland and water sources in order to advance the One Belt Initiative by the Communist Party. They have the money, the capacity, and the motive to control the food supply chain in an economic downturn. Foreign agents know the value of land and will continue to buy it strategically. Bingo! I very much am on board with the brand of conservatism that truly does conserve what makes America free and great and prosperous and full of a liberty that you cannot get in other areas of the world. We have to protect it. We have to respect that we do need to have a strong government when it comes to protecting the most basic aspects of our society. We shouldn't say, well, we believe in laissez-faire. We believe in a free market. So let's just let communist China come in and buy up crucial farmland and especially do it right next to military bases. <laughs> what about that is conservative, if you ask me? I think there is a huge difference between somebody that supports that and somebody that doesn't. I'm on board with Joe Kent. It says the Communist Party has actively supported investments in foreign agriculture as part of its, quote, One Belt, One Road initiative. USDA facts and figures put Chinese interest in farmland purchases at 192,000 acres in the beginning of the 2000s. So in 2000s, at the turn of the century, they had 192,000 acres in America. It says that land, which includes farming, ranching, and forestry, is valued at around $2 billion now. By 2019, the USDA says foreign ownership of U.S. acres exceeded 35.2 million acres, a 60% increase over the last decade. 60% increase in foreign ownership of American land in the last 10 years. Despite a federal law requiring the self-reporting of foreign transactions on agricultural land, lapses in tracking, incomplete data, and transparency issues obscure facts and figures. So basically what they're saying is the inefficiencies of government are causing this, the, the bureaucratic tendencies, the, the ability for things to just get lost in the abyss of, of government office. That's what's happening here, and it's allowing the massive purchases to take place with no accountability. It says, at the same time, Chinese conglomerates are buying parcels of land next to military bases. North Dakotans cited a concern with a $13.5 million purchase of farmland from Red River Trust, a shell company linked to billionaire Bill Gates, which purchased 2,100 acres of potato farmland near the Canadian border. Gates's ability to win legal approval to buy land has made him one of the largest private farmland owners in the United States. 
Gates' ties to the World Economic Forum and globalist views complicate his domestic interests. So there's a really cool tweet that I liked from Joe Kent. I'm really liking his opinion on all of this. It says, seize every inch of ground owned by the CCP in the United States. This is a major national security threat. Gates's land can be taken, and he can be compensated under the antitrust, anti-monopoly laws. Bottom line, we take the land. Only farmers who want to feed Americans own U.S. farmland. I really love that. I've got to say, I think it's time to step up and stop this madness. Now, even more concerning, I love a good call to action. You guys, I have something fun for you to do. This is what's so frustrating to me. We live in a decentralized republic, and our founding fathers really trusted us to not let the responsibility of of such a government slip through our fingers and into total chaos and collapse. But when you hear stories like this, it really just really frustrates you because clearly some people have forgotten the importance of keeping the republic, the importance of not only just focusing on short-term or local interests, but truly the keeping of the republic on a local, state, and national level. Read this, and then I I hope it inspires you to reach out to this uh, mayor. Quote, at a very basic level, we know bad actors are grabbing national resources, using and leveraging them against the American people, says Joe Kent. Quote, this is where the government needs to step in and take back land owned by the CCP and their proxies. They are a foreign entity and have no right to our land. For people like Gates, we can use antitrust laws. Gates is far from the average citizen or even billionaire in terms of how he wields wealth and power. Now, here's the thing. I agree with that. This is where I get frustrated. The article says, when it comes to China and strategic realism, John Mearsheimer suggests that the logical choice for the United States is to slow China's rise, especially where neoliberalism encourages it. Mearsheimer says, quote, beguiled by misguided theories about liberalism's inevitable triumph and the obsolescence of great power conflict, both Democratic and Republican administrations pursue a policy of engagement, which sought to help China grow richer. So he's saying that people are really short-sighted, and neoliberalism and this concept of, of, oh, well, it couldn't be that bad, right? I mean, freedom will conquer all, right? All of this is actually appeasing and allowing communist China to maintain a high status in the market and in global politics. This is where things get annoying. The idea remains that a strategy of denying potential risks advances the rise of a great power competitor. According to CNBC, Grand Forks, so this is where this is all happening, right? Grand Forks will move forward with the Fufang Group in the spring of 2023, citing the economic benefits of Chinese business. Yeah. The mayor of Grand Forks says he will move ahead in, quote, good faith, end quote, as he waits on the federal government for official objectives of due diligence and caution. What an embarrassment. What a true embarrassment. In good faith, he is going to give land to be sold and approve it, allow it to be sold to the Chinese Communist Party right next to an important Air Force base that is a national security concern 
because he wanted to cite economic benefits of Chinese business as his reasoning. So I was thinking it'd be kind of fun if we all messaged the mayor, the mayor of Grand Forks, and let him know what we thought about this. And so I'm going to put in the description the way for you to contact him, and you should let him know how embarrassingly pathetic and seriously dangerous it is to allow the Chinese Communist Party that has murdered millions of people to set foot, not only in his town, but in his state, in his country. What a disgrace. What a terrible thing to have on your record. And what a terrible thing to do for your country. Not just your town, but your country. We should all let him know our thoughts on this. Um, So again, you guys, this is the mayor of Grand Forks. He is allowing the Fufeng, F-U-F-E-N-G group, in the spring of 2023 to get farmland in North Dakota by an Air Force base that's very important to the country. And he cited the economic benefits of Chinese business and said he's going to enter this agreement with a genocidal, even the federal government, even Biden's administration has called communist China genocidal because they genocide an entire population of their people. They have re-education camps where they sleep-deprive people and torture them with electric rods, and then they send them to slave labor camps that are specifically built next to the re-education camps so that they can force the people to work and hopefully re-educate them through torture, sleep deprivation, deprivation, and forced labor. Um, all that, he's going to operate in good faith with them because it's, it's, it's good bringing economic benefits to his town. What an absolute embarrassment. Let's let him know what our thoughts were, and then let's move on to the last story. Because, guys, we wouldn't be in this problem of appeasing and doing business with the Chinese Communist Party if we could just be a little smarter about the basic world politics, world history, American history, American politics, and modern civics. That would be nice if we were a little bit smarter on these things, but it's not going to happen until we reform the education system. This is generational. That brings us to our last story. All right. Uh, Last article, Daily Caller. Love the Daily Caller. It is titled, Betsy DeVos reveals the most important things Republicans can do to reform education. Now, you guys, if you didn't know this, she is an icon to me. If I could think of somebody that I would like to become, Betsy DeVos would be one of them. Um, We are very aligned on education reform. She was vilified by the radical left, but for good reason. It's because they hate her and they know that To change and reform and fix the education system in this country, it would demolish the political left. They'd be screwed because they are ruining our country by making our children into useful idiots and then indoctrinating them further in the college system and then sending these people out as newly formed adults into the workforce, into society. And look what it's done. Um, If you want to continue the destructive political left, then you must knock down anybody on the right or anybody in the middle that is advocating for legitimate and could actually achieve it, legitimate educational reform that could solve the problem of ignorance and the issue of misinformation and disinformation in American politics today. That's It all goes back to education. That is why Betsy DeVos was attacked so viciously. She is not an evil woman, in case you've seen any, seen any of their headlines. This was all political play. Now, I have a few things that I want to read out to you guys uh, just to really highlight what she's done. It says, 
The Biden administration's damage to public education can be undone by Republicans with a few important reforms, former Secretary of Education Betsy DeVos told the Daily Caller News Foundation. DeVos has a five-point plan to reform education that Republicans should campaign on now and implement when they retake Congress, she told the DCNF. The five points include education reform, love it, eliminating the Department of Education, no biggie, I would love that, uh, supporting multiple pathways to post-K-12 through education, love it as well, federal student aid reform, that is, if you guys didn't know that, the entire system of student aid, especially with higher education, is why we have the student loan crisis right now, the student debt crisis. And she says reforming Title IX. DeVos stated to the DCNF that educational freedom or the ability of parents to send their children to a wider array of schools is the most important reform. I completely agree. We have to make sure that kids have options and are not just funneled into the public education system. So that means making it easier for kids to leave the public education system, to leave public school. But unfortunately, I've talked about this in other episodes, you guys. I've done whole episodes on this, I think. The blue states are making it very hard to do so. And so we have to fight that, but we also have to make sure uh, from a non-policy perspective that there are options out there for parents, that it's affordable for parents, and that we are making it easier for them to understand that those options even exist in the first place. So awareness and um, attainability Those are also really, really big if you're a conservative or a moderate that's interested in helping with education reform. It says uh, a free education environment will allow students to receive funds to transfer from public schools to different education options such as charter schools, private schools, and homeschooling, she explained. Quote, the last two years, children have been held hostage to this cause or these multiple causes and a system that too many of them cannot escape. So that's another thing, too. We pay all these taxes that end up going to the public school system, but it's often that these blue states that pay so much per student per capita in the education system, they often have the worst test scores, the worst success of their students, and it's states like Florida that pay a moderate amount per student, but do it strategically and encourage actual learning and comprehensive learning in their kids, uh, they have the highest test scores, the most successful, well-rounded students. So it's not about how much money you throw at something. It's about the quality of education and the approach to education that you have in the state and at the local levels. So when you hear leftists talk about this, of how we need more funding, it's often because the taxpayer dollars are actually just going in these blue states to the teachers' unions. The teachers unions and the people in public schools want our taxpayer dollars to be shoveled into this system. And then they claim, oh, we're not going to have money for sports or anything if we don't support kids in public schools with our taxpayer dollars. When in reality, it would really, really benefit all of society if a parent, and it would benefit families, if a parent's taxpayer dollars were attached to their child. And if a student and their family wanted to send them to a charter school or a a private school or homeschool them, that that money wouldn't go into whatever public school they live near, but it would instead follow the child into the school system that they want to go to. So that's what they mean when they say the the dollars should follow the child, the student, not just be funneled into whatever zip code school that they live near. Now here's the thing. I have not a... Not too big of an issue, but a little complaint. A lot of us, you know, hindsight 2020. I was genuinely just so confused of 
why the Trump administration didn't focus on certain things when they were in office. Like they, they should have gone balls to the wall. I can't think of a better phrase. They should have gone all out. That's probably better. They should have gone all out on a, quite a few things, one of them being the education system. But instead, nothing really happened with this. And so it says, while the Trump administration failed to significantly shrink the DOE, DeVos believes that it is still possible and necessary for Republicans to do so, as she told the DCNF. Quote, shrink or do away with the Department of Education. I think that Republicans have talked about it for many, many years, but I think it actually would be feasible to do, practically speaking, by blocking grants to the states, which is what we proposed in the last two years of our budget and presented to Congress to debate. There was only some interest among Republicans, but not enough to get a lot of airspeed. That's the thing, you guys. She's about to mention it in her quote, but I just want to cut in here. I've been involved in this space for... um, this time period of the transition where people used to not really care on the conservative side or Republican side about allocating money into educational movements. And they would say, oh, we care more about the economics of stuff and we care more about tax policy and all these things. Education is too cultural. And they just kind of saw it as another policy field when in reality, education is everything. And I used to try and make the case that, hey, I'm talking about educating kids on economics. So, yeah, it does have a lot to do. If we if we don't have properly educated kids on history, finance, economics, and civics, you're going to have some economic problems later on when those kids graduate and then get indoctrinated in the college system and then become voting members of the population. But what do I know? Um, so that's a, a roadblock that we hit a lot, a lot, a lot before COVID. And then when you know COVID hit and people started to realize how serious the issue of education was in the country. And so what Betsy DeVos is saying here is that she used to try and make the case before this really got bad that we do need to pay attention to the DOE because, hey guys, Article 10 or Amendment 10 of the Bill of Rights says that whatever's not in the Constitution is then designated to the states. Education is not in the Constitution. The Department of Education is unconstitutional. It should not exist. It is a waste. It is not only a waste, but it is a dangerous weapon that is weaponized to centralize power in our country over the minds of our children and create this national um, indoctrination camp, if you ask me. And so that's part of why the education system is so bad, because we have an unconstitutional Department of Education. Now, Kids these days are indoctrinated about the DOE, and they are told, oh, well, we have the Department of Education because there's some more poor areas of the country. So we have to funnel all of our resources and taxpayer dollars from the richer areas of the country and give them to the more poor. But that is a complete scam. It's a lie, and it's another example of indoctrination about politics, of normalizing unconstitutional and liberal and leftist policies in the minds of young people and then sending them out into the world thinking oh well this has always been the case Uh -uh. department of education is fairly new concept it's not been around since america's founding or anything like that but i digress let's get back in i could talk about education for a long time but i'm trying to keep this short uh she was saying that quote just watching how the system has performed or not performed the last two years i think makes the argument of shrinking the department of education to be much more potent so now that people see how serious the issue of critical race theory and indoctrination and radical wokeness in classrooms really is it's kind of waking the republicans up and the conservatives that didn't think it was such a big issue or even voters and parents um 
She says, as college enrollment is down nationwide, we also need to be focusing on apprenticeship programs, and I totally agree with that. We need to be diversifying, and we also need to be looking at Biden's Title IX because he's trying to make it so that Title IX protects um, people that identify as trans, especially when it comes to women's sports, making it something that biological men are now protected under Title IX. This is crazy to participate in women's sports and share the same locker room with them and stuff like that. Um, so she's elaborating on this plan, but what's so cool is she has the book called Hostages No More, and that's coming out, or no, it came out in June, June 21st. So I'm going to order this book, and then I'll read it and let you guys know how I thought about it. Um, that being said, this issue of education, if this was all really new to you, and this concept of school choice, of dollars following a student and not going right into the system, the teacher's union system, the public school system, if all of this is really new to you, I really encourage you to look into what your state policies are and what your local policies are because education is a state level and a local level issue at its core, and we need to get it back to that. We as parents and community members need to be paying attention to what's happening with the education of our children, what they're being taught with curriculum, what they're being given in terms of options for where they can even go into a classroom and where they want to get educated, where the state will allow them to because it's like big brother now. Um, and then not only that, but as a, a an issue of federalism, does the Department of Education even need to exist? And should we push further to support people in Washington, D.C. that are willing to take this mission on of getting rid of this unconstitutional entity that is now in our federal government? But that was a um, wow jam-packed episode. You guys, I hope that you learned a lot. I hope you have a great rest of the week. I will talk to you on next episode. And if you haven't yet, please um, like, subscribe, and share that you're listening to this episode on your Instagram story and on social media. I would really appreciate it. I appreciate you guys listening. Have a good one. Thank you. J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.